Hi, I'm Maddie. I'm Leticia. And I'm Lexi. And welcome to Why We Tap That, the podcast where we talk about the shifting technologies in the craft brewing industry and the taproom scene. What's on tap for today is the Charlottesville taprooms and their technologies. It's no secret that craft brewery scenes have rapidly grown in recent years. According to the Brewers Association, an average of 1.6 microbreweries are started in the United States every day. We wanted to look into how this recent change has shifted the typical beer drinker's experience. In our process, we discovered the simultaneous growth of tap rooms, which allow for a single location to be a tasting site for 100 plus different breweries. With so many options, we then began to wonder, how does one consolidate this information? How do the tap rooms themselves evaluate each of these beers, and how does their evaluation differ from the evaluation of a consumer? Along the way, we found that both consumers and locations are becoming increasingly dependent upon apps and technologies to evaluate their beers. So then, what are the apps using? In order to answer these questions of the shifting evaluation of beer, we went to the source and explored these apps ourselves, both as average consumers and as potential venues seeking the service. We did interviews with multiple tap rooms about what metrics they use and how they use them. Further, we asked about their knowledge of apps, their trusting of them, and made a lot of interesting conclusions along the way. Combining these trends, we narrowed our search down to these central questions. Why and how are Charlottesville taprooms embracing new technologies? What are these technologies, and how do they work? So we started our exploration out at Draft Taproom. Draft is an independently owned taproom with more than 60 taps focused on a large, diverse selection of craft beers along with a small selection of hard ciders and wine. Draft has a unique self-serving pour system that offers the freedom to try a variety of beers without committing to a full pour. Draft really wouldn't be able to exist without this technology. They rely upon pour my beer to allow their consumers to measure and pay by ounce instead of glass. This system is convenient for the consumer because it allows them to try a wide variety of beers, or if they have one they like, only pay for exactly what they want to drink. At the same time, though, the taps collect a lot of information for the taproom itself. In our interview with the manager, Stefan, he detailed how the taps record the average pour, what time of day it is consumed, the number of people who return back to the tap after an initial small pour, how quickly a keg is consumed, what season a particular keg is popular, and many more. Ultimately, these apps provide the majority of their in-house data. Interestingly, though, the majority of the clients would never see this side of the evaluation. Rather, what they are exposed to is the data from Untapped. In another interview with Dean, he spoke about how the beer lists are printed daily and projected on a TV screen in live time. So all of the data that the consumers receive about these beers is pretty much completely separate than the data the owners and the managers are using. So, naturally, we returned as consumers to see what this consumer experience and these evaluations looked like. No, we didn't try all 47 beers on tap that day, but we came in as consumers and observed a few interesting things. First, when you walk in, they hand you a beer list, which appeared to be a numbered 1 to 50 list. Interestingly, though, I discovered that the numbers weren't correlated at all to rankings. Rather, they were tap numbers. However, when we talked to Dean, he expressed that without fail, the top 10 on tap always received more visits. Curious. We also noticed that the listing themselves had rankings, but no indication of where the rankings came from or what they were made up of, just an arbitrary image of one to five stars. This same list is then projected on a screen in front of the taps. 
So it's fair to say that every customer that entered the tap room is pretty much forced to consume these particular evaluations. It was also interesting how the taps were set up. As we mentioned before, they were listed 1 through 50, but it was interesting because even though the taps were all lined up, they were further separated and labeled in groups of 5 to 10. The connoisseur's corner were the beers that were apparently the high end, whereas the Bud Light and Friends were the beers you would drink with your buddies while you're watching a game. These groupings made me think about how tap rooms were allowing for the democratization of consumption. More people from different status groups have the ability to try a wide variety of beers, as they can try small amounts of more expensive beers than they might not regularly purchase, or purchase a bottle or a whole case of. In another discussion with Dean, he mentioned that the Connoisseur's Corner was heavily reliant upon the rankings on another app, Rate Beer. He noted that the app had both a customer ranking and an expert ranking, and we will further discuss that later in our podcast. So, as we mentioned earlier, the consumer-facing evaluations at Draft Taproom are heavily dependent upon untapped data. But exactly what is untapped? It's essentially the Yelp of all beers and breweries. It is a collection of crowdsourced reviews that rely heavily upon the process of commensuration, which according to Esplin and Souter and their piece Rankings and Reactivity, is the transformation of qualities into quantities that share a metric, a process that is fundamental to measurement. When you open the app, it shows you national rankings, but you can also select local rankings. If you check the map, it will show you all of the places that serve at least one beer listed. And if you click on an individual location, it will show you a listing of all the beers on tap. The app is advertised to help individuals enhance their own drinking experience, as well as enhance the experience of others. The app logs all the beers you've reviewed for your own reference. For example, I really liked this one last time because it wasn't very hoppy. But also intends for individuals to rely upon others to help them make their decisions. This is the best beer on tap here. I'm looking for a light beer. This one is highly reviewed. Courtney, an employee at Jack Brown's, noted that she hadn't tried every one of the 100-plus beers on their menu, so she was very limited when people asked specific questions about the beers or for a recommendation. Untapped is thus able to fill in the gaps of knowledge by collecting a wider database of information. But do the people using it really know how it works? Not really. Of the few consumers we asked, they just assumed it was an average ranking, but didn't really pay much attention to how the data was collected or used. So, how does it work? Essentially, it employs two different averages to calculate beer rankings. The first average is just a beer pure average, which is the rating you see on the beer page, search results, and lists. It's calculated by taking the sum of all the beer ratings and dividing it by the number of beer ratings. The second average is the brewery average, which is the rating that you see on the brewery's page itself, or the brewery map. That's calculated by multiplying the beer's pure average times the number of rankings of that individual beer, and dividing it by the number of ratings for that brewery. Untapped also has top-rated lists, and in order for a beer to make one of these lists, it must have at least 150 rankings. Further, for a brewery to make a top-rated list, it must have at least 1,000 reviews, have at least five beers and a physical location. The interesting thing about this data is that it's so present for every consumer, yet the managers we spoke to didn't really know or understand how it and the rankings were calculated. Also, in speaking to the managers, we found that many tap rooms use Rate Beer, an app which largely functions in the same way as Untapped. 
However, there are key differences in the process of rankings on Rapier and Untapped. Rapier has an expert ranking, but doesn't show you what really qualifies someone as an expert. Managers like Dean from Draft are heavily reliant upon the expert ratings on Rapier to order new beers in the tap room. Dean even stated in an interview that he'll select beers for the connoisseur's corner and raise their prices solely because they have a 98% or higher rating on, beer that, on the beer experts ranking on the app. Dean's worked in the beer industry for 15 plus years. He knows almost everything there is to know and is an adamant drinker himself. Yet, when we asked, he said no. He still doesn't consider himself an expert. However, he's relying on this kind of arbitrary defined expert on rate beer. A manager from a different tap house, Zach from Hardywood, didn't consider himself an expert either. But he does consider himself a professional in the industry, and he still relies on the data from these apps as well. An interesting thing we learned about rate beer, though, is that if you're an employee of a brewery or a brewery affiliate, your rankings will be immediately deleted. See, what's interesting about Zach's story is that he started his exploration of beer on Untapped when he was just drinking beers with his dad around his town. Untapped sparked his interest in the beer industry, and a couple years later, he found himself as the manager of one of Charlottesville's most popular tap rooms. It's interesting because he had more of an impact on the ratings of beer when he first started as a consumer. But now that he's an employee of a brewery, his rankings are immediately deleted from the app. So Zach's rankings would be considered when he was drinking beers with his dad, but eliminated even though he now has much greater knowledge of the industry and its products. This begs an interesting question, because by eliminating the majority of people who work in the industry, those who work for breweries and affiliates, Who's left to be the quote-unquote experts? I return to Dean from Draft's earlier statement. He raises his prices on beers that have a 98% or higher ratings by experts, but truly, he doesn't really know who those experts are, and they may or may not even match up to his own experience and expertise in the field. We also learned that the app cuts out all rankings and reviews if you have less than 10 ratings on your profile. It also will delete any ratings that are obviously bogus. However, what is obviously bogus is never defined and is thus very subjective. This means that these measures are meant for quality assurance, but in a market like Charlottesville, we think they strongly limit the data about beers that can be provided going into these calculations. So we started thinking, how can a normal consumer become a beer expert? What we found is that there's a lot of apps that can help facilitate this transition, one of which is BeerJudge. BeerJudge provides information for people who are judging, selling, or making beer, and they use a flavor wheel very similar to the ones used for coffee, chocolate, and wine. Lieber refers to these practices as objective methodologies in his article, Phenomology of Coffee Tasting. He states that, quote, it's only by turning the results of our reflection into objects that we're capable of remembering them. It's only by objectificating them that we are able to communicate them to other people and use them to direct others, end quote. So, rather than a beer being just good, light, or hoppy, this wheel advocates for the use of taste descriptors like chlorophenol or freshly cut grass. And while these words may seem much more arbitrary and romantic, they are actually more objective because they're founded in science and statistical analyses. 
Also, the app has a descriptive listing of what each descriptor means or can be identified as, as well as what processes led to such flavors. This is somewhere where we see the evaluation of beer is becoming much more similar to the evaluation of wine. To quote Amarine's discussion of wine in, quote, a taste of science, end quote, the greater our understanding of the factors that affect our reactions to wines, the greater our confidence to judge them, and the keener our capacity to enjoy them. This is really where we start to see the democratization of beer. So we mentioned Zach from Hardywood earlier. He is a perfect example of the democratization of beer evaluation. He started drinking beer casually with his dad. He only consumed pretty generic beers, or as Draft would say, Bud Light and Friends. But he started to explore on apps like Beer Judge and Untapped and started to learn the language of beer. Using these apps allowed him to enter the professional market and become somewhat of an expert, even if he doesn't describe himself as such. We will now hear from Zach himself at Hardywood. So, yeah, I think the choosing what to brew is more important than choosing what to put on tap. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you put on tap is going to be what you have available. Um, and so a couple of things go into that. One, the seasonal thing. Mm-hmm. So, like, what hops are available, what other things like fruit are available. If you want to make fruited beers, those happen in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, pumpkin beers happen in the fall because that's when you can get the ingredients mm-hmm. and you want to use fresh ingredients, of course. Then the other thing to keep in mind is trends. So the last couple of years, New England style IPAs mm-hmm. have been really popular. The new use, the new yeast people have been using out of Norway, the Quebec yeast or Quique, or something, Quike, or something it's called. Is mm-hmm. No one really sure how to pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeast allows for some really delicious, pillowy New England style IPAs. Mm-hmm. So that has been really popular. And then of course, sours lately have been taking off. Yeah. So. You want to brew with the trends, and you want to have things that people are looking for. Um, yeah. But that being said, everyone always likes a good ale, so you should always have something like that around. People always like a good pilsner or other lager. You need to have those around. And of course, as soon as the cold months hit, everybody wants to, not everybody, but the dark beers would come in high demand, so it's important to have that mm-hmm. then. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, so I guess my question now is, so you're saying everything is really is seasonal, so do you There's a lot to do with it, yeah. have basically like the same schedule every year, I guess? I would More say the same types of beer come uh-huh. out the same times of year, uh-huh. but we will mix up. So like in the summertime, Hardywood does our Berliner Weisses, which are our sours, and each year we pick the flavors to do. Mm-hmm. So we'll decide, well, last year we did a, like a pineapple upside down sour, and uh-huh. we had a, what was it, oh wait, a cucumber? Yeah, lime one. We did a lime one this kiwi year. Lime. lime ginger, kiwi lime? Kiwi lime. Um, so yeah. who like decides those? So the brewing, what gets brewed is decided upon, I'm assuming behind closed doors by both the head of our production staff and our owners and our like upper management. Mm-hmm. And then because we're just a pilot brewery here, uh, a lot of that trickles down to, hey, let's try something new, do a small batch of it up here in Charlottesville. Um, our brewer here has had a couple of recipes that she's designed and put on tap, things like our Czech Pilsner and the Brown Ale we'll have coming out soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so she does a really good job of picking that out. She's made some great stuff, but a lot of times it kind of comes down from higher up and says, hey, this is what this is the trend we're going to go with. Mm-hmm. This is what the market's looking like. This is what's in demand. Let's brew some stuff in this category, and let's get good at it. Yeah. We want to try it out and get good at it before we start putting it out for distribution okay. or mass production. Okay, so a lot, yeah, that makes sense. So, like, a lot of the things that you brew is just based on, like, trends in the market. That makes yeah, sense. I mean, you need, to stay, you need to stay with the market, and then you also have to have established brands. So things like our Richmond Lager, things like our Single, our Pilsner, 
our VIPA and our flagships, mm -hmm. we need to have those available year round. And yeah. then in the wintertime, our gingerbread stout is probably our best known brand. So, mm -hmm. in addition to having things that are competitive with the market trends, you need to also have recognizable, stable brands available all the time so people learn your stuff. Yeah, um, I think those, both of those are important to have. Yeah. Um, do you think that like having untapped and those digital technologies has changed the way that like people have been consuming your beers or like I think it's changed the way people look at the beer industry in general uh -huh. um, because I started on untapped and then got involved in the industry later oh, and really? so being a part of um, you, when you get to feel like you're contributing to the culture of the craft beer market yeah. and not just you're not just a consumer you're almost a participant yeah by being able to rate things you see what your friends are rating you see where they're trying stuff where they're getting it it's a way to share not only what you've got and what it was like but also where they got it so part of the thing of untapped is you know you say oh i got a draft or from here or i bought a bottle from this bottle shop mm -hmm. you can go oh they have that there you can go get it so it, it is a way to kind of like grassroots marketing in a way uh -huh. um and then in terms of the business itself i think I think that only translates to more activity yeah, by more giving business. by giving consumers some power. I mean, we even have like on our um, digital menu over there. If you were to uh, buy a beer and review it and tag our location in it, it would come up on the bottom of the screen there. Oh, right. As this shows like the five or six most recent people uh -huh. that reviewed a beer here and what they got. Um, so it's an interesting way for people to feel connected to the venue. I mean, I think you could even go further if you really wanted to. I think there's ways to have a show, what they got, what they reviewed it as, uh -huh. what the rating they gave it, yeah. um, all that kind of stuff. So you can be pretty interactive with it. And yeah. That can only be a positive. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. unless your beer's bad. Yeah. But we don't have that problem, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's... And at the end of the day, that's the kicker, right? Is it gets the product good. Yeah. No matter how much marketing you do, no matter how much strategy you put into something, if your product isn't good, you're going to struggle to sell it. So yeah. that obviously is square one. Oh, that makes sense. Um, so if you don't mind me asking, you said you started on Untapped. Yeah. And that kind of brought you into the beer industry? Yeah, so I was like just a young guy in Charlottesville looking yeah. for good beer. And uh -huh. my dad and I would go visit breweries in Charlottesville or nearby towns and just try to have fun with it. Whenever we were on vacation, it was like, where's all the breweries at? Yeah. And it was just, and Untapped is a way to help find them. I didn't use it that religiously back then. Yeah. Um, and then Hardywood became one of my you know favorite hangout spots. Uh -huh. It was close to where myself, my parents, and my brother all lived and worked. So uh -huh. we would all meet here frequently. Yeah. And then I ended up getting involved in the industry and getting more interested, chatting with people here, and now I work here. Yeah. So, um, I think it can be a gateway for people into it because uh -huh. if you, there's some people who take that the untapped really serious uh -huh. and they'll get down there and they're breaking down all these off flavor notes and this and that and yeah. you can really get into the weeds and you can learn a lot if you choose to. Uh -huh. um, and it's 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 bringing visibility to places that may otherwise not. Like if I go and I find a discreet place somewhere and I rate their beer, someone else goes, I've never heard of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I I think that helps people get involved who may otherwise not have. Uh-huh. Yeah. it's an easy app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even as complicated as Facebook. Totally. That makes sense. <laughs> That's really awesome. Um, it's kind of a random question. Would you consider yourself a beer expert? Ooh. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an expert at drinking it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Expert's a tough word. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely a difference between the layman, the journeyman, and then the professional. Mm -hmm. And then expert, it depends on how you define it. But I would yeah. say that I'm a professional in the industry in that I've been in it long enough now. I've been exposed to enough different things mm -hmm. that 
I know what I'm talking about and I know what I'm tasting for yeah. the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know everything. I don't pretend to. And mm-hmm. I always like to try new things. Yeah. And I don't think you could ever know anything because it's always changing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, from the average person that walks in, they probably think that most of us that work here, because we do, all of us are really into beer. Yeah. We don't just work at a beer place and yeah. share beer. We're really into it. And yeah. We're always sharing bottles with each other. So we're, we have pretty broad horizons in that respect. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, like I said, I think professional yeah. in the industry is fair to say. Yeah. Thank you again to Zach for sitting down and speaking with us. Lexi is now going to discuss some similarities and differences between beer and wine. So apps are becoming increasingly significant in determining value. And simultaneously, they're making it more like wines in that the communication is becoming more uniform and less arbitrary. But so what? Why should we as everyday consumers care? The apps are valuable because they're allowing us to take massive amounts of information about beer and make it easier to understand and spreadable through the process of commensuration. We mentioned earlier that commensuration is how the apps turn qualitative information from beer experts and consumers into quantifiable numbers that are more easily understood by consumers, buyers, and taprooms. While commensuration may eliminate some factors that would be considered more qualitatively, it makes massive amounts of information much more easily digestible and thus making the apps valuable because they allow consumers to quickly and easily figure out what they want without spending hours tasting every beer or reading every review. For example, if one of us went to Jack Brown's, we would have no idea which of the 100 beers we wanted to order but the app allows us to make an educated guess. And on a larger scale, what if we wanted the best beer in America? While the rankings may not be completely objective and what the best is, they definitely help narrow the field or at least give us a general idea. So not only do these apps allow for evaluation, but also for the spreading of information. In our interview, when we asked Zach from Hardywood, why technology had added value to the field of beer, he stated that untapped goes beyond beer. Back long ago, neighborhood bars were where everyone went back then, and that was the culture. But then technology allowed for transportation and communication, as well as the spread of information that made people more aware of more cultural things. West Coast IPAs once swept the country, and then it became New England IPAs. People started making, quote, beer pilgrimages. They might say, we heard that there's a great beer here. We want to come try it. People who connected with beer started sharing their cultures of beer through these apps and different technologies, which ended up shaping the field and the culture itself. Therefore, value is ultimately created through the apps because it saves consumers time and energy while providing them with increased exposure to different beers that they may have not ever been otherwise exposed to. For reference, this matters because the beer industry is hugely profitable. According to the Brewers Association, the national beer market is worth $114.2 billion and the craft brew market is worth $27.6 billion. Craft breweries in Virginia contribute $1.709 million to the craft market, meaning that they're responsible for just over 6% of the national craft market value. Since Charlottesville taprooms help contribute to this economic gain, it is important to understand how they helped produce this value. And how that value is actually being built. 
According to one of the essays in the book Untapped, The Evolution of Craft Beer Locally and Globally by Chapman, Lelick, and Lepard, the American brewing market used to operate as a monopoly dominated by the big three, Anheuser-Busch, Coors, and Miller. However, these three companies have now merged and are one giant conglomerate that makes up over 80% of all beer sales in the U.S. The new market thus functions as an even stronger monopoly. That means it's even harder for new companies to enter the market. So the spread of information provided by apps is extremely valuable for small craft breweries that wouldn't be as able to break into the market and share their products. After the repeal of Prohibition and as a response to the homogenized American adjunct laggard that dominated the brewing industry, craft beer emerged due to the efforts of a few underground homebrew pubs. Craft brewers created styles of beer that were bold, contrasting starkly against the pale, light pilsners that the big three were producing. Craft beer thus gave Americans a choice in what type of beer to consume. And these apps allow for modern consumers to evaluate those smaller beers and compare them to the big ones that dominate the industry. Craft beer is becoming much more of an art, and these technologies are allowing normal people to become cicerones. This is the beer word for a sommelier. And this market is thus shifting, allowing beer drinkers to become experts at a colloquial level. In another essay in the book Untapped, He suggests that there are three sociological perspectives to examine in the craft beer industry. The first one is understanding the structural forces that impact individuals to want to drink craft beer. The second one, quote, sociology demands that we understand social context and that place, space, and identity formation matters, end quote. And the third one is, quote, using a sociological lens to allow us to view craft beer as a pursuit and expansion of cultural knowledge, end quote. The last perspective is exactly what Zach from Hardywood was referencing. These apps are allowing people to expand their cultural knowledge and extremely widen the amount of information that exists in the culture of beer. That goes to show that these apps and these digital technologies are much more than just rating beers and knowing what beers are at what restaurants and tap rooms, but it's also about sharing cultures across the nation from West Coast IPAs to New England IPAs. As Elzinga discusses in his article, Craft Beer in the United States, we're in the middle of the second largest shift in the beer market that the United States has ever faced. What is being valued is shifting. Craft breweries continue to rise, Flavored beers, different tastes, and specific new styles are emerging and expanding rapidly. Players are caught in the middle of past, present, and emerging modes of evaluation, and managers are forced to decide which, if any, of these sources they want to trust. Taprooms have choices because they're not selling their own product, so they're not at this crossroad with a lot of different options when it comes to decision-making. Moreover, there are multiple underlying mechanisms that are applicable beyond the case of beer. One of these mechanisms are apps, which, like in the craft beer industry, help evaluate the world around us. In fact, according to a Deloitte report about the U.S. app economy, quote, the number of businesses involved in the app economy in the United States has been increasing since 2010. The number of companies in the sector has increased by 5.1% on average each year between 2010 and 2015, 
end quote, end quote. The app economy generates wealth beyond the companies in the app industry, end quote, which is estimated at $568.47 billion. Ultimately, the apps formalize informal feedback from casual and expert beer drinkers by putting it into a format and trusted server, which influences the actual taproom business and purchasing decisions. This then impacts not only the local Charlottesville econo- economy, but the larger U.S. economy and the beer industry. Because if many taprooms start purchasing one type of beer, the demand increases, but the supply may not meaning that the cost the tap rooms will charge customers is higher. So using digital technologies in the beer industry is beyond rating beers. Through the process of commensuration, we're not only able to rank beers, but expand our cultural knowledge of beers and knowledge of beer drinking cultures across the globe. This goes way beyond beer at all. In the same way that we saw what happened to wine is now happening to beer, this current phenomenon in beer isn't unique to beer at all. It's expanding our cultural horizons to all sorts of different products and fields worldwide, allowing for a massive spread of information that's actively changing our social, cultural, and economic purchasing decisions. We're all tapped out for now, but thanks for listening. We're going to go grab a beer.